Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast on the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser. One of the things I've tried to explore on this podcast is uh, why I hate the music that I hate. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously hate too strong a word, uh, why I don't get certain bands or performers don't understand their appeal. And uh, this episode kind of concludes a trilogy with uh, episode five with Catherine Jezer Morton on The Grateful Dead and episode six with Mike Hickey and Lee Newton on Mr. Bungle. Just again on the themes of bands I just don't understand the appeal of. And so this one is a big one. And I might get into trouble for this because a lot of people love them, but a little band called The Smiths. And who better to discuss this with than uh, the man who's been called, much to his irritation, the Black Morrissey. Bearing in mind this was before Morrissey was an avatar of the alt-right. Mr. Murray Lightburn of The Deers. Uh, Murray is a friend of mine. We've worked on a lot of things together before. Someone I respect a lot. Um, And we actually, uh, I mean, he has some pretty interesting and surprising things to say about the Smiths. And uh, we actually get the Smiths talk over with pretty quickly and move on to talking about a whole bunch of other things that are pretty interesting. Well, I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. So uh, Murray Lightburn, welcome to the show. Right on, right on. So uh, I was thinking today about uh, how we know each other. It goes back a a while. Um, We've worked on a whole bunch of things together. You've recorded... uh, produced three records for me uh mm-hmm. you played in my band uh i've sung backup with your solo project um Indeed. on a few in a few of its incarnations um and uh and we're we in, I, we met at 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 a wedding though didn't we yes it's true one of my best friends married uh one of natalia's best friends they're no longer yeah. married but uh yeah it was, um, but somehow yes. we stayed friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, we. Uh, yeah, I, I was think. I think about that sometimes, and how it was probably for the best that we met through a non-music scene connection. Indeed. Um, but yeah, no, I I remember it. Uh, I remember that, and then like, so, uh, we both lived in Montreal. That wedding where we met was in Toronto, and then like. A little while later, Natalia called me and asked me to like if I wanted to come visit you guys when you were recording in the studio. And I was like, sure. "Really?" I dropped by, and you guys were recording that. "No Cities Left," and like it's it's a very vivid memory for me because like Natalia was kind of sitting on the couch like with her usual implacable cool, and you were just like you were wearing sunglasses indoors drinking wine straight from the bottle and just like in full-on rock star mode and oh my god i i don't remember that i mean clearly i don't remember a lot of things from that record or that time in my life because i was if i was drinking wine straight out of the bottle wearing sunglasses and i was definitely on on another planet (laughs) (laughs) and then you would go into the booth and just start like tracking crazy harmonies like thirds fifths sevenths ninths just like track (laughs) after track (laughs) singing higher and higher and it was just like whoa yeah it really made an impression the funny thing about that though was that it was our first digital record before that we were only recording to tape and so when I was told that we could basically record infinite tracks, I was like, all right, so that's what I'm going to do. I mean, that you think the vocals were were one thing, but like it was the same for guitar. I, I remember at one point, uh, Brendan, who was engineering the record, Brendan McGuire, who was engineering the, the record, he was like, at one point he made like an announcement over the talk back and said this is the 684th track <laughs> recorded for this song <laughs> yeah i believe exactly it. I mean, like that <laughs> I, I remember the first time that i worked in a studio 
similarly, like before that, I had just done stuff on four track and I was just like, ooh, you mean we can just do as many tracks as as we can? So yeah. it's like, you know, it's a I know it was it it was a, it was it took me like a couple of albums to kind of rein that concept in, you know, like, oh, I can record any uh, as many tracks as I want. But I've gone, I've since gone back to the sort of idea behind, like now I treat digital as if it's tape. So I, I have a 32 channel console. I restrict myself to that many inputs, outputs, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like, that's, that's my, that's my limit. I'm, I'm treating that as my limit, you know? Yeah. If I, I can't, think... if I can't get the job done in that, then maybe I'm not doing the job. <laughs> yeah i think it's 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 smart to put limitations on yourself as much as it as 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 much fun as it is to to have no limits um but anyway i'm get, uh, as usual i'm getting off track immediately um of course i, I was uh I, I was talking about all the music that we've done together and the weird thing is that despite knowing each other all these years and and making all this music together i don't have a really good sense of like what kind of music you like. Huh. Interesting. Except, of course, the only band that I know you like is one that I don't like, which is the Smiths. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny that the Smiths is the thing that I publicly, publicly get associated with. Um, and, like, Britpop, for that matter. I didn't... I never... I was never a big fan of Britpop on a whole. Like I, I hated most of the band. I thought they were terrible bands, uh, and uh, with terrible songs. And you know, they're most mostly they were flashes in the pan. A lot of those bands from like the '90s Britpop that okay. we got associated with, and then of course the Smiths. We were heavily associated with them, and. Def, did I pray at the altar of the, of the Smiths at one point in my life? Yeah, when I was 15. Um, but more specifically, I was a big fan of Johnny Marr's guitar style. I was fascinated with it because he was so underrated and he was like kind of the anti-guitar hero. When people think of great guitar players, they think of like, I don't know, like Clapton and Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. And those are great guitar players no doubt but johnny marr's style was kind of like the anti-guitar hero in that he wasn't a big shredder or soloist he just used the guitar in such a different way i was just discussing with steve the other day about uh our our mutual friend steve regley who plays with currently plays with the deers uh and i was we were just talking about like uh you know, when I was learning guitar parts from the Smiths, for example, um, I didn't ha I didn't know that he was using a, a capo all the time or a lot of the time or weird tunings and stuff like that. I was trying to learn those guitar parts without knowing that it was tuned differently. And like I was in standard tuning, no capo, trying to learn Girl Afraid or whatever it was. And then you see him now... He on his Instagram sometimes he'll play a Smith guitar riff. And it's like oh, it's like that, you know. Uh, so I'm still enamored with the Smiths, but more specifically Johnny Marr's guitar style, and that is definitely been an influence in our world. And uh, but that the thing that's interesting about the Smiths thing is that it's such a small part of our voc like my vocabulary on a whole you know i would say the largest like if you had a pie chart for example i would say like motown greatest motown's greatest hits would be like take the biggest slice of the pie like probably like 80 percent of it <laughs> uh-huh because it encompasses everything i love about music Great singing, great lyrics, great melodies, dude. Like the melodies and great musicianship, 
tons dripping with soul and like beautiful orchestral arrangements a lot of the time you know they're just ornate beautiful recordings you know when you listen to tears of a clown i mean for god's sakes i think there's oboe in that you know the boom 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 you know doing that you know like it's just like how did they put that all together in one perfect cocktail you know like these these orchestral elements soul like swagger like my god like that is the music that informs still to this day almost everything that i make uh i'm always referring to it i think that that you, you can't really deny the power of that music and for me like i I felt like there was a point in my life where i thought a lot of it was kind of overplayed because of like maybe like the big chill soundtrack kind of vibe um and it took a while for me to sort of realize oh yeah well just what you just said just like how yeah well i mean sometimes some at certain points with any music it's like the sloan lyric you know it's not the band i hate it's the fans yeah, see, for me, the Smiths is the other way around. It's not the fans I hate, it's the band. Well, you, I don't know. If you knew Smiths fans, you'd hate them too. But And and I would not put myself in the category of, like, the traditional Smiths fan. You know, like... Um, the traditional the traditional smiths fan is you know probably should you know probably needs fa- friends and um you know etc i mean I, that's a terrible thing to say but you know what i mean <laughs> sure there's well, a, i mean it's it's they're mostly like you know probably like incels i mean morrissey is the patron saint of incels you know like when you think about it <laughs> <laughs> it's true eh well i mean i think that one of the things about them that's so weird and I, I, you know, I don't, I didn't mean this to be an ambush to talk about the Smiths the entire time, but I, I think it's, it, it needs to be discussed for me because, uh, you know, it's one of the few bands that I just never got and never understood and never liked. But um, I remember Raf uh, Kadigbak from the Mirror talking about this, but like their image was so dark, and you'd see like the punks and the goths wearing Smiths jackets and stuff, yeah. and you, you sort of think, whoa, this band must be really like you know, really, really cool and dark and like, no. you know, badass. And then no. you go and you hear it and it's like, you know, I was always like a victim of bullying as a kid. But when I hear the Smiths, I just want to like give the guy a wedgie and stick it, stick his face into the, <laughs> the gym locker. I'm just like, stop whining, you miserable. You nerd. know, it, it, that's a funny thing to say, and I'll tell you why. Because you want to know how I was first introduced to the Smiths? <laughs> yes. So um, when I was in high school, there was this kid who was kind of, I guess you would call him like a sort of like, um, what's the kid's name on The Simpsons, the bully? What's his name again? Uh, Nelson? I, Nelson, yeah. So he was basically like the Nelson of, you know, our grade or our high school, basically. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the Nelson in every way, like tender at moments, but like a total asshole uh, at other moments, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one, like how I met this guy was that he was just kind of being a total asshole. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I just slammed him up against the locker and said, don't, don't F and touch me. Leave me alone. And that was it. It was like the equivalent of the prison yard thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> show your strength right off the top, you know. And uh, and after that, we kind of became, you know, like friendly, not best friends, but friendly. And then yeah. um, and then I, I think I sang in the talent show or some stuff or something like that. And then one day he came up to me and he said, hey, man, you sound a lot like this guy. And I said, who? And he, he handed me a cassette of Hatful of Hollow, a Smith's album. Never heard this band. And I went home and I put it in my little cassette player. I was like, oh, this is cool. And I liked it, you know? 
So, so you were apparently to Morrissey before you'd even heard before them. I even heard of them. That's okay. the origin story. Um, yeah. that a lot of people don't know. Um, so that's how I was introduced to the band was because apparently some guy said I sound like this guy. Okay. Um, and it, it's funny that that the guy that introduced me to the Smiths was like a Nelson type buddy uh bully you know uh-huh uh just say you know what you were saying just now is like <laughs> you want to give a guy a wedgie it's just like well actually this guy who was giving wedgies was <laughs> yeah well, introduced me to the smith <laughs> so he was like this tender guy underneath yeah. it all you know <laughs> yeah sure well i mean when you talk about the rhetoric of bullying this it's it's kind of reductionist in a way because obviously like everyone who bullies has been bullied by someone so like in a way and then you know and then in turn the the bullied finds someone weaker to pick on and basically like the bully as an archetype is is sort of like a scapegoat for for this uh unfortunate impulse that we all have i think oh my god yeah i mean i i grew up with three older brothers so i took that out into the streets with me you know at times so sure. uh which i regret but it's just like that's just you know it takes work to turn that around at some point in your life you know and For uh sure. and i feel like i have but there's still a bit of that you know uh mentality in there i think that i still haven't fully exercised but there's something that only people who i uh, who grew up with only brothers no sisters younger of the bunch know what i'm talking about it's a it's a vibe it, again i hate to use the prison prison yard uh example but growing up in my house was the equivalent of a prison yard <laughs> yeah it, it it makes sense for sure for sure um so um so so just to 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 get back to you and, and maybe mm. wrap up the, the the smith's angle like I, I I remember at one point, and this was another time where I, where where we had hung out a few times, but we sort of got to know each other a bit more, is we we both played at this Smiths tribute uh, night that Lorraine uh, Carpenter put. Oh on. Lord, we I played that. I thought yeah. I declined that. What did I do that night? Do you remember? I don't I don't know because I really don't know their catalog that well. But she asked me to play, and I was like. I, f I was like about to open my mouth to say like I don't like the Smiths I don't want to do that and then I was mm -hmm. like maybe I should do it because Stacy uh, likes the Smiths my wife uh, and bandmate there you go and so mm -hmm. we we chose a song that that she sang and and um and and like uh I I found myself like listening to the music and as as you say like the guitar parts are really interesting um and you know Morrissey like obviously today he's like widely hated and a part of me was like rubbing my hands with glee when i when i when everyone started to hate him but um <laughs> but i have to say like credit where it's due like i mean there's something there's something to it like the 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 melodrama but there's also like it's kind of funny i don't think everyone anyone ever talks about the fact that some of the lyrics are clearly meant to be sort of funny. like yeah like i yeah, just yeah, thinking yeah. of a line like um in one song, Big Mouth Strikes Again, he says, like, now I know what how Joan of Arc felt, which sounds unbelievably pretentious. But then the next line is, as the flames rose to her Roman nose and her Walkman started to melt, which is like, it's clearly funny, you know? It's yeah, not, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. The imagery is hilarious. Be, it's a parody of, 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 uh, of pretentiousness. Yeah. In a way. Or something. I don't know. Well, but, I, um, I think, I think uh, there, there's like... I've seen a couple of interviews with the band talking about them rolling on the floor in laughter while he's singing a lyric, you know, like they knew it was, they knew it was funny, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people, and and the Deers are like that too, you know, there's a lot of jokes in Deers lyrics that people, you know, I think on its face, people have this image of the Deers of being this 
you know, kind of serious band and like there's tons and tons of jokes, you know, in in yeah. our songs. But you guys kind of, of cultivate humor. that image too, no? Like a, in, in no, the I don't expressions you always have in your photos and so on. Uh, I don't know. If we, I don't think it's intentional. I just I'm not a fan of photo shoots. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like a lot of times I literally like don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to be fair, um, someone the other day was was talking about how band photos always look really stupid. And I was like, well, that's true. But like in when you're there in the moment, like there's only so much you can do. You either are like trying to be uh, like trying to look like a badass, which like most of the time you'll end up looking stupid or you're like. I don't know, hemming it up and looking wacky. Like, there's not a, a whole lot. The only, the only there, great. Sometimes, like a photographer will give you like a little, like a mood or something, and then like you, you try to, you, you know, capture that mood like an actor or something, and that can be well, successful. But the, uh, most of my enter mental mental energy is spent on what to do with my hands, and I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, uh-huh. and. And so it's that sort of awkwardness of what do I do with my hands in this fucking photograph? Maybe that's why and that then, David Bowie Heroes album cover is so amazing because he's just striking this weird pose with his hands. But then, yeah. he, then he did that and then you can't do it or else you're doing him. Well, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so let's get back to the pie chart. Um <laughs> And I know, I know that, like in a way, like what are your influences is like the stupidest, most basic uh, question that any rock journalist can ever ask. But yeah. nonetheless, like this podcast is about musical taste, so uh, so you got yeah. Motown in there. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. else is in the in the pie chart? Um. Well, I, you know, growing up in my house, uh, we listened to a lot of you know classical and jazz records. You know, my dad was. Uh, my my dad's sort of like Coltrane influence still runs pretty deep, you know. And I I still collect a few Coltrane records, so that uh, is in there. Um, you know, can't play a lick of that stuff, but I enjoy listening to it. Oh yeah, um, it's so amazing. Every yeah. once in a while, like that'll come on a playlist or the radio or something, and I'll just be so blown away because it's yeah. uh, it's so uh, it, it's so soulful and so beautiful, but it can be so aggressive, almost like punk to me in a in a weird oh, way. Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. And what's so what's so interesting about it is like the whole like thing about that you know that time of jazz was all about well maybe even before that like 40s or something like that uh you know it was all about like cutting heads i don't know if if you remember i think i think uh miles davis talks about that in his autobiography i can't remember but it's just, it's all about like you know i mean like being being able to play you know and mm-hmm. my my old man really like <laughs> he was he was really into that you know that he so he kind of hated the beatles and the stones and stuff like that and would just be like basically you know he would just hate it if that stuff was playing in the house and and he so we just never we never grew up on that stuff um he just he would just say, "Oh, they they can't play a lick," you know. That's what okay. he would say. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's a tired tired bunch of musicians. But when you think about it, there must have been such an enormous amount of resentment in the '60s when that sort of revival was happening, and it was just kind of wiping out the popularity of jazz. Like when the Beatles came over to to America, that was it for jazz. That was it, and um, the like you know that brand of like pop music and sort of you know boy band type of thing you know kind of took over you know i mean there was rock and roll but like when the beatles kind of came around and the stones it just kind of really like put the nail in the coffin for that kind of 
musicianship and that kind of artistry. Not that anything's like wrong with that stuff, but it was just like at the time, at for a long time, jazz was the most popular thing in America, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and those guys were kings, you know. And everywhere they went, they were kings. And then now, you know, the '60s kind of brought about like this era of like these out of work jazz musicians playing pop music you know and then you and you hear it on those records through the late 60s and you hear it in like this sort of orchestral pop records through the 60s you know the musicianship is still pretty fantastic and then you hear it on like you know um and you hear it in Motown records. You hear that musicianship. You know, you hear that like training on the on those records. But right. uh, so there's a there's a like a the pie chart is related in some ways. You know, uh, mm-hmm. loosely related. Um, and then there's you know there's classical records that I ha- that I you know buy at the Goodwill and Salvation Army and stuff like that that I collect. You know, I love finding like a classical record in like great condition you know like nice and clean like probably hardly played people just had them in their house and then they bring them to goodwill and then you you pick them up and you check you inspect them and they're like clean as a whistle my god it's just the greatest thing to drop the needle on like some you know beethoven record that's just like in perfect shape you know <laughs> yeah no doubt i don't i don't have a ton of experience listening to uh to classical music I, I i was pretty immersed in that world as a kid because i sang in a choir that we would you know perform with the orchestra and things like that and uh but anyway uh i i uh i whenever i go to get whenever i've gone record shopping and tried to check out classical i'm i'm stymied both by like not knowing what genre or composer or era to look into, but also even if you chose one piece, there might be like 10 records that play the same piece. So it's hard to know what to check out. It is. I mean, I don't just buy like random stuff. I mean, I'd have to go. I mean, I like, I like Bach a lot. Bach, I don't even know how to say his freaking name, but, um, and, uh, I'm not a I'm not a big Mozart fan like you know all these like you know well-known historical composers like I'm not a big Mozart fan not not the biggest fan uh uh I do like Beethoven a lot uh, I have this uh Bach like uh harpsichord record that I listen to on a regular basis but I mean, I'd say like that's like probably like five per five to ten percent of the pie chart. I mean, I I said like eighty percent is like Motown okay. and like sixties. Yeah, I, I haven't been t- keeping track of the numbers on the pie chart, but uh. right sixties, seventies, you know, pop, and then there's like uh you know stuff like Isaac Hayes. I listen to a lot like that that seventies era of like soul r&b stuff uh is 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 i listen to and play to sometimes i was like learning um uh some drums from those records just trying to like try to wrap my head around that crazy 16th note like hi-hat hand i can't with this my friend maki has said that sometimes when he's when he's writing Instead of putting on a click track, he'll just put on an old funk or soul record and play along to that. Yeah, like, that that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me because it's like, I mean, there's so much, you know, as they say, pocket on those records. You, it's undeniable, you know. Um, but I mean, again, it's that 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 stuff is just an extension of like where Motown went moving forward, you know, in that that style like i listened to a lot of like you know marvin gay which is like as you know you you could easily categorize like you know marvin gay and isaac hayes and pre- pretty much in the same bin sure. uh, al green al mm-hmm. green tons of al green my god like one of my favorites uh so i i that's 
you know, it, it's also like stuff that we heard around the house, you know, Jackson five, all that stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. we were, we were huge, huge Jackson. I mean, I've seen the Jackson five like twice in my life. You saw them uh, perform? Yeah. Twice. Wow. That's pretty It was cool. the first concert I ever went to was, I was like really little at, and I think it was, I think it was Jari Park or Stad something Stad, not the Olympic stadium, but it was like some other type of like Expo 67 thing place i forget what it was called okay like, uh, but was, my brother was telling me my brother peter remembered like that was like your first concert was that know? like the jackson's victory tour like 84 kind of thing oh my god i think it was before that bro oh wow yeah, uh, that's pretty that's pretty major yeah it's massive and uh so that you know we grew up like just worshiping the jackson five and and that sort of thing and uh and that and i still refer to that music i still listen to it you know my whole life i'm i'm like turning 50 and i still listen to the music from my childhood i mean there was a period when i was listening to it less and there's periods when i listen to certain things more like when we were on tour around um around gang of losers I I had on my iPod I had sketches of Spain Miles Davis playing almost every day I would listen to that record while we were on tour and uh and it it just uh for whatever reason it was just like cuz I hated that tour so much it just made touring that much easier just to be able to pop the headphones on and like shut out the tour and just listen to sketches of Spain. <laughs> yeah. Well, that era of Miles Davis is really calming, I find. Uh, oh, my God. Yes. To. The Gil Norton records, right? Like, uh, no, not Gil Norton. It's Gil Evans, isn't it? Gil Evans. Gil Norton is the guy who did like a uh, Pixies uh, records and stuff like that, right? He like produced like, uh, he did like a bunch of like 4AD stuff. Like, he's an English producer. I'm getting mixed up between the two guys. Okay. Yeah, don't get your gills yeah. uh, confused. <laughs> um, okay, so um, what about, like, I mean, do you listen to much stuff that's happening today, like contemporary music? Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, it, I mean, as far as contemporary music goes, like, I'll listen to some of my friends' stuff, you know, um, and but uh i would say a lot of it is informed by whatever's neptune whatever neptune wants to listen to in the car so like uh she went through a big uh panic at the disco thing she still listens to fallout boy regularly uh and she still loves my chemical romance she's less into panic at the disco now because they become kind of they went kind of more pop and so she's not really into that she's more into guitar music so that's why she still listens right. to fallout boy um, um so yeah you're so you're talking about like your teenage daughter's musical taste and what's what's your take on that do you well do you i i appreciate it i never had a thing for i never i i literally never heard a note of my chemical i had no idea what that was i just i heard of the band i knew they were popular but i i never listened to a single note had no idea what it sounded like i thought it was like some goth thing or like i don't know i had no idea what it what it sounded like mm -hmm. uh until she started playing it in the car and you know it's kind of after, you know hearing it every day driving her to school etc cetera, etc cetera, you know it's hard to not like start to like it, you know. <laughs> sure. I mean, Would I, I put it on on my own like... time? Absolutely not. I don't have to because if I'm driving the kid anywhere, I'm gonna have to listen to that stuff, you know. Yeah, I used to joke that like the major label record company slogan should be like establishing catchiness through sheer repetition. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the that's what radio is for, right? So the perp the whole purpose of that, you know. M uh, relationship is to f ram it down our throats. Um, 
But I still find it weird that a lot of stuff on the radio is just like, how in the world is this on the radio? Like, it is not catchy at all. No matter how many times they play it, I can't sing a note of this song, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's happening more and more and more. Like, just sh really shitty, poorly written stuff is getting on the radio. And... Uh, and it's all just because it's it's got a major label tag on it and it's you know that artist is being brought up by whoever who's in charge and it's all just it's a joke it's a complete joke it's just like looking at like who's nominated for awards and stuff like that it's it's a complete and total joke uh not reflective of uh, what's good and what deserves to be, you know, there, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the stuff is just like, it's just politics. It's just, you know, the right people are on the board and they're pushing their thing. And, uh, I think there's one like major label like in Canada that <clears throat> I think the entire like staff at the record label is, they're all members of the, the, the thing that votes for the awards and they're it's dictated to them okay this one we all we're all voting for this this is what the awards are about this year this is who's gonna win and it's like <laughs> yeah well i mean the same is true in the in the indie yeah it's uh, it's world, it's as it's as rampant there you know all the awards are it's this rampant nonsense of just like and then and it's it's being it's being presented to the public in this way that you know, this is what was voted on and this is what's reflected on artistic merit and et cetera. And it's like, no, it's not that at all. It's never been that. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ever been that. Uh, I mean, the fact that the Deers were even like ever nominated for, you know, an award is, uh, <laughs> is, is unheard of, but we, were briefly associated with that, you know, sort of fixed nonsense, you know? So it was all just like, you know, let's let's bring up this thing. And I kind of wholly rejected it. I, I remember my experience at the Junos uh, many, many years ago, I fell asleep <laughs> while they were announcing. I was asleep while they were announcing like the nominees for our award and they were about to present it. And I was like passed out on the jumbo truck. <laughs> right. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I think this is fair to say, tell me if not that like your, your experience in the business side of music has left you with a bit of cynicism about the business. Uh, uh yes and no. Yes and no. Like, I think there are pockets of good people. We're working with some really good people right now that are you know like we kind of see it all the same way it's a you know uh we're doing the best we can uh we know it's a it's a it's a rigged system uh <laughs> and uh and that we're doing the best we can we've carved out our audience that has been fairly loyal and have been with us for many, many years. So we're in a very fortunate spot. Um, and I never aspired to be like huge playing arenas or whatever stadium. I never aspired to that. Like I, I just like to keep my head down and make some cool stuff and get it out there and always present it the best way I can and always perform the best way I can and let the chips fall where they may. I've been saying let the chips fall where they may for 25 years. You know, it's just like, let's put it out. I mean, when we put out our first record, I was like, I would have been happy if we sold like like I think I think my goal back then was like a hundred CD a hundred CDs, which is right. laughable, you know. Like that was that was, but I was like, ah, it'd be cool if we sold like a hundred CDs. And I think a year later, you know, our 
that in Canada we'd sold like I think like three thousand CDs. So I was like, oh wow, that that so that's what we could do. Oh, I didn't realize that. I had no sense of the business, and I tried to really separate those things, you know, uh, all through this time. So I I think yeah. there's there's a part of me that is like, yeah, I'm super wary of the business, and I I hate it, and et cetera, et cetera. And there's just so much bs in it but at the same time it's like if you stay like sort of laser focused on certain people and work with certain people you can cut through a lot of it you know and uh and just exist and do your thing sure do you feel that like this this uh this side of the of the business that you've been exposed to and that and that you don't like has affected the like your appreciation of music or the way you listen to music well, going back to like my taste, I mean, when you think about like what Motown was, I mean, my God, they had like a little factory and it was very, very popular, you know, with the public for a time. Uh, mm -hmm. They had like a little thing going on. They had their own studio. They had their own house musicians. They had their own house writers. They had their stable of like, you know, performers and their roster and they built up these personalities you know stevie wonder and like diana ross and the supremes and Smokey robinson and they're good looking and like they fit the bill it it was it was kind of perfect but at least that the on the other side of it you know they they were like the perfect package in every way because they you know they're good looking uh they can perform they had all they checked all the boxes and on the other side of it you know it's like they backed it up with quality 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 it's less so now you know it's like all these stables exist of like writers and performers and producers and all this stuff but a lot of it is not you know you know they're not as not near as talented. There's lots of talent out there, but a lot of stuff that we hear about, uh, not near as talented as like stuff of yesteryear. You know what I'm saying? I I do, and I you know I I I I think that you know, not many people would argue that like the music of today is like as good or better than that music. But I just always, I for me, I resist the impulse to say that like yesterday's music is better than today's because it just feels like that's what, you know, grumpy old men say. No, oh, don't get me wrong. I will say this. Whenever I hear an Adele song, I'm like, that's the real deal across the board. Whoever's putting that package together and like, I mean, that girl can sing and the songs are good and uh she delivers them well and even when the songs aren't like up to snuff she delivers them so well that i believe it you know and mm -hmm. the production is great i don't know if you're a fan of adele but i freaking love adele i i really like rolling in the deep oh my and, god what uh, a great track uh, I can't say that I'm that familiar with her whole catalog. I mean, I just kind of most, I've never bought a record. I probably should buy an Adele record. I mean, at this point, because I, every song I've heard on the radio, I love. So uh, I haven't really heard many stinkers from her. I'm sure there's stinkers on the record, like filler. There must be. There has to be. They can't. Well, one thing that's kind of cool be all about her run. is that she's not cranking out a record every year full of mediocrity. Like she takes well, the this time. Well, this is it. To put out to to only put out a record when it's good. Yeah, this is it. I mean, I I'm much more of a fan of like say like the Kubrick style of output, which is where, you know, he didn't put out a lot of movies, but they were all he put so much effort into each one. It's like a lot of quality went into his output, um, instead of just cranking out movie after movie, you know. For sure. Um, okay, so uh, so yeah, I, I, I was asking about um, you know whether whether this um, how could I put it you know maybe cynicism is too strong a word maybe not but like this 
this uh, world weariness that you've had from all from the, your exposure to the to the nastier side of the business, um, if that affects the way you listen to music, I I only ask because I remember a, a few years ago, you asked me if I would um, like be a juror for uh, for a factor mm-hmm. uh, grant, mm-hmm. and I was really like I was really honored to be asked, and I I did consider it seriously, but I kind of thought like I have this little tiny kernel of of uh, innocence left mm-hmm. as far as my approach to music and music business per se mm-hmm. and i like basically like i'm trying to protect that kernel um, yeah i mean felt I, like i wouldn't say that like being a factor juror would you know uh betray that in any way you know or like kind of i don't i mean i know what you mean because i still try to maintain that kernel like that little the, the ring let's just say you know like <laughs> uh and uh I know I know what you mean. Uh, that being said, uh, I have not been a part of that for a while. Like that system is completely broken, and I I have no problem going on record saying that. Like uh, what's going on with uh, the grant system on a whole is is uh, it's 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 borderline horrific you know and it it doesn't make any sense but i get what it's designed to do it's not really people have this misconception that it's supposed to support artists and 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 in part it's it it does and kind of does does that plays that role but its primary purpose is actually to keep people in the music biz employed to keep that like to keep those functions going to keep those you know dumb parties that they have and like conferences and like traveling to this that and the other where there is not an artist in sight it's just managers label people publicists you know agents going to these functions talking about probably not a lot about music uh and they just found a gig you know a lot of them are former musicians they had they were in a band for a bit and it didn't work out and so ah, i'll just go in the music business you know those those who can't do teach those who can't teach teach gym etc so uh it's kind of a world of that and the the grant system is there to support that world it's not to support people like us that are in our studios dreaming of what we can communicate to the masses. Uh, it's, it's about everything on the other side of the glass, as I say. And, and it's too bad because it would be great if there was actually a system that was supporting the arts in a, in a supremely direct way. And I think us artists, especially the younger ones, they have this idea that the grant bodies are there to support us and it's not primarily there. We're lucky if we get a crumb off the table. But they give gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of money to companies, record labels, management companies. Like so much, you, you would not believe how much money some of these companies get. Like in the, in the six figure range. Uh, well, I mean, I, I would believe it because I, you know, it's it's all public. I mean, I've seen the stuff about yeah. how you know Sony Music and Universal, you know, the Canadian divisions of these immense multinationals. Yeah, and it's get it's just six figure sums. It's or seven colossal. Sums. It's colossal waste. But I, you know, it's a it's a system that exists and uh, keeps people employed, gives them something to do. I mean, what can you do? You know, at least at the end of the day, you know, uh, someone like you or I, if we need money, we can literally go out on the street right now, open up a guitar place, sing a song, and somebody might drop a quarter in there. I can't see any of these people, if they didn't have a grant system, being able, what would they do? You know, they'd probably stand alongside you and say, hey, check out this guy and then take a quarter out of your <laughs> guitar case. <laughs> that's yeah, what their that's yeah. what their role is, you know. Right, right. 
Um, well, um, Murray, it's, uh, it's 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 even though we uh, we've we shoot the shit often and we we've worked on all of these projects and in fact are even currently working on a top secret project. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's uh, it's it's always a pleasure to uh, to shoot the breeze with you. Um, but before we uh, we sign off, is there anything more from the pie chart that you need to shout out? Uh, that's a really good question. I would say, uh, there's one thing that I, I, uh, like I'd say one of like my biggest influences, um, that should go in the pie chart is, uh, one Wendy Carlos. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I still listen to uh, Wendy Carlos on a regular basis and it's weird because I, I've thought about like reaching out to her and like kind of just like you know I, I've dreamed of like having like a relationship like a, you know like just discussing music with her because I'm just fascinated by uh, just the the whole process and yeah, well, uh, she, real supreme like pioneer like like that is not talked about enough you know uh-huh well she's got a bit of attention recently i don't know if it's an anniversary or or what but i've read a few articles about her recently mm. and apparently she doesn't do any press or, well yeah and uh, and her and, and switch on bach isn't on uh spotify yeah like her she, online she, presence is is a disaster i i really wish website's not very good oh my god no, it's, no disrespect wendy i know no disrespect at all i just wish somebody would just like you know maybe i don't know i don't I, just I, I would love to talk to her about that stuff too is this like you know how can i help you know make sure that you know, i don't know i mean i would love to just like like work with her uh, even though i couldn't hold a candle i mean i'd just love to be near her i'd love to be in her world <laughs> get some of the aura yeah um, i i'm i just i'm i i just think like such i mean even though a lot of people who do know of wendy carlos like think that she's like a genius etc i think that largely underrated not talked about enough about the influence on a lot of things that we listen to uh influence in my world definitely i mean i i talk about wendy carlos whenever i do get a chance like now and when the subject comes up, I, you know, mention Wendy Carlos. It's been mentioned mentioned in my influences on projects, in bios and stuff like that. I I try to uh, mention Wendy Carlos as often as I can, and I, I think more people should say it out loud. You know, that's cool. Um, well, um, you know what? I I keep thinking of more things I want to talk about and ask about, but um, right now I have to go and make lunch for my kid, so maybe we'll have a rematch at some point. Yeah, I got to go turn my pizza dough. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, it's it's always great to talk to you. And uh, All right, my man. Until next time. Wigged. That's our show. Thank you for listening. And as per tradition, Murray has made a Spotify playlist of the songs and artists we talked about. You can find that link uh, on the homepage or on the What Is This Music Facebook page. If you like the podcast, go and uh, give us a rating, write us a review, uh, and most importantly, uh, spread the word, tell a friend. Um, And uh, to those of you who have done that, thank you. I appreciate it. It really makes a difference. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next time.